Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler back for another episode of ESEC Lending Insights with my favorite co-hosts, Jim Maroney and Brooke Gilman. So wait, How are you guys on. doing? Are we all co-hosts now? Like, did Jim just get a promotion, I guess, is what I'm really trying to understand? Jim is the main event, so hey. I think we could make him important for sure. Well, but, well, but I think with our feature versus a host. I'm just yeah. trying to understand our roles here, Peter. And, and Peter just said we're his favorite co-host, but in yeah. reality, we're his only co-host. Right. Who else is doing this? Oh. Right it's a tough crowd. We're off to a really good start, yeah. everyone. Well, I will say that today and yesterday are big days for this group. And that is, it's a new car day. Oh, oh the Dodge Ram. You got your and, truck. And Jim got a new car yesterday. Ooh, did you finally get that Bronco thing you were talking about? It only took 18 months and it did came without a top. But yes, I did. I got it. I'm did excited. you have to fight off your teenage daughter for that? Or what? <laughs> Deal, dealer offered me money to not buy it. So I guess the supply demand are way out of whack because of the supply chain. It's hard to get cars right now. That's for sure. I was lucky to get my Dodge Ram 1500, which is pretty similar to the one the boss drives. But that had nothing to do with my decision. Slash everything. <laughs> so it is exciting to have a new car day and I'm excited to pick that up this afternoon and you know what else I'm excited about is to share some of the insight Jim that you provided yesterday at our company's board meeting and what struck me the most was bringing in an analogy including ice cream so I'm going to ask you Jim to explain to our viewers exactly what I'm talking about he just to be clear though Peter when I told him that this is what we wanted to focus on for the podcast which was sprinkles on the ice cream, he doesn't remember his analogy. So we might need to help him describe <laughs> what he was talking about. But Jim, why don't you make an attempt? I think what we were trying to describe was the quality of sec lending revenue today and how the mix is a little bit different than it normally is. So typically you'll get a short base, mostly specials that provides the core revenue. And then around that, you'll have corporate actions, whether it's M&A or tenders or rights offerings. IPOs, and that'll just be the sprinkle on top of the ice cream. But in today's world, we've had a number of outsized spinoffs and tenders, some lucrative rights offerings, IPOs come every single day. And so it really is hit or miss as to whether your clients own them or not. But the core of the revenue over the last couple of quarters has been corporate actions and corporate events. And the specials are just kind of the sprinkle on top. I would also throw the funding trade, which seems to be kicking off our funding book as a percentage of our total balances is larger today than it ever has been. And so I think that is also, I guess, could be part of the sprinkles on top, whereas GC is normally a core, but there's no above the line. So it's really true funding non-cash trades that are in different structures that are driving some of that. Can you maybe describe what you mean by funding trades for people that may not be familiar with that term? Yep. So that term is looking at it from a broker's perspective, where they are funding, self-funding or funding assets they have. So they give us their longs as collateral against short borrows and short needs. And so when you collapse those two trades into one, many times it's the borrow they take is generic GC in nature, easy borrow. And so it truly looks like a funding trade to them where they would otherwise have to source funding a broker to pledge cash or maybe treasuries to us. So it really just looks like an equity for equity or equity for bonds, bonds for equities. And then you add tenor to that. If you have the ability to do or take term conditions, you can make a little additional money. And that also is another layer of funding. 
So Jen, this is all consistent with what you've been saying now for a number of months and your predictions for this year. And I think you're just, you know, doubling or tripling down on it saying the value in the market today is absolutely in the corporate event space and the deal names. And there still remain few specials that are driving a lot of the revenue. And yep. in most years, that's the other way around. So that's sort of why and core in his analogy yesterday, everyone, the core was the ice cream and the sprinkles were those one-off trades that bring additional revenue. So his Sunday has been turned upside down. I just want to make sure that people understand where your analogy started and where it ended. Yeah. But the M&A and the corporate activity has been happening for a while now. We're just now able to monetize it as it's not all cash deals and they're coming in different shapes and forms. And so I think we have cash stock on the table now with a lot of these tenders. And so it means lending opportunity if there's an election. It's the same theme that we've seen for the last 18 months, but now we're starting to make some money on it. And maybe look, I'm open to the possibility that it's our client base and our group of assets that is allowing us to make money on that. Somebody else might see it a little bit different if they don't own it's a bit of elephant hunting when it comes to M&A and IPOs. You either own them or you don't. It's not like having a, you know, characteristics of a small cap portfolio in a couple of regions where you make money off of that short base. So it may just be our perspective, but I think in general, you'll probably see a lot written in the next couple of months about all the M&A activity and the various large trades where people are making some second lending revenue. Is this primarily in the large cap space, Jim? I mean, does this kind of flip things around as far as where there's attractive securities because of this action in the large cap space? It does. I don't know if it flips it around. Yes, is the answer large cap and mid cap are typically where you see the mergers or certain sectors. We're seeing consolidation in the gaming sector. We're seeing a little bit and expect more in the cannabis sector. But does that change the value? So from a borrower's perspective or a lender's perspective, let's think about it from a lender's perspective. Our model, ESEC's model, is to sell value into exclusives because we get paid a premium and then we're left with what's generally generic assets. And those generic assets now are starting to fire on all cylinders when it comes to corporate events. But it doesn't then flip that on its head and say a borrower now sees the GC or the generic as the more valuable piece. It's impossible to predict what's going to come in terms of mergers and acquisitions and tender spinoffs and the like or rights offerings that fly by or cap raises. So I don't think we'll ever see that flipped upside down, Peter. We'll always see the same type of assets in demand for an exclusive structure. It just makes what's left over a little bit more value and it augments the lack of revenue coming from those specials. We saw, just to recap real quickly, we had in January and February, we had GameStop and the like making a ton of money. And then the short squeeze on all the crowded shorts got squeezed by retail and likely institutional. And then it went away. There was a lot of covering in March April, we saw a slight uptick in May and June. June was really strong and it felt like shorts were coming back. And then since then, it kind of flatlined like a patient. So I think it's been a balanced year from a revenue standpoint and a little bit different than most other years. I would call 2021 a very interesting, decent revenue year. What about a real life example? Do you want to talk about Vivendi that just happened? Vivendi spun off. It could have been a trade for some, maybe not for others, but they spun off Universal Music. So Vivendi is a French company who owned UMG, they spun it off. It represented more than 50%, I think it was 60% in total of the value of Vivendi. They spun it off as a stock entitlement through a dividend, which is taxable for some. So that became a trade for some people. It was large, very large. The dividend was 18 and a half euro was the reference price. So that's massive. 
when you talk about the size of a company versus a dividend it's paying. Anyway, there was a taxable event there. And so there was value for some. We've had any number of them. WH Group, which is a tender in Hong Kong, which a handful of people decided to take no action on the WH and they were able to make some money through SEC lending. Likewise, NASPERS in South Africa a little bit earlier. I think that was the summer, if I remember correctly. Everything blends together. And then we're working on a number of rights issuances and capital raises in Europe right now, some of which have some value and they bang around based on where the stock price is, the company doing. So we have increased our connectivity to our clients, which is incredibly helpful in terms of capturing and optimizing revenue forms. For ESEC, it's been a real team effort between the client service team and the trading team in terms of sharing information, reaching out to clients, keeping them educated and showing them what the opportunities are and working with them to get optimal elections. It's one team, one dream. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but for listeners, to put it in perspective, so some of these trades, like if people have a history on lending and remember the Citigroup trade from a number of years ago and sort of the size and scope for some lenders that might have participated, that some of these trades you just spoke about, like Vivendi, kind of rivals that in terms of impact on revenue opportunity. Is that fair? Falling short of the Citigroup preference trade, the PREF trade. So that was a tier one capital requirement. I think it was 2008, nine. And Citigroup offered their shareholders, if they were to swap their PREFs for common stock, they offered them a massive discount. And that trade was huge for the market. The biggest I've seen in the 20, 22 years I've been doing it. So this was the second best trade I've seen, but it's still pretty far away from that city. If you remember that Citigroup trade got bumped four or five times. And so any hedge fund who had set that trade up had to hang in there and they ended up the lenders made more money than anybody else in that trade. Certainly made me happy. <laughs> so when you're happy, we're all happy. So it's the end of September. We're on quarter end today. We're heading into October. Obviously between now and year end, we have a number of auctions upcoming, really going into as well Q1 of next year. I know we always talk about the seasonality of our auction. In some ways we've sort of no longer have true hard and fast seasons, but we're entering, if you will, our fall auction season. What are your views? What are your hopes in terms of results? You know, obviously it gives us a great window into where the market is and expectations on the dealer side and you know what markets do you think we're going to see in demand versus maybe some others that might not be as hot? What are your views? Mm, I'll be able to better answer this question in a week as we do embark on our two core fall auctions, which are all global equities, but we expect participation in Asia to be pretty good. We're still a little skeptical about South Korea, given the short sale ban is still in place. We don't know if that fits an exclusive structure just yet, but we expect Hong Kong and Japan to auction well. The rest of the markets, some of the smaller frontier markets always auction well, so it wouldn't be any different, I don't think, now. Europe, I have no idea. I think there's a handful of names that are really special and you have a lot of pricing power and you can push people around with them, but it's not that deep. So it's going to be interesting and telling for us in terms of how many bidders and what those bids look like relative to where we see the market and broader demand. So I'll punt that answer down to the next podcast in a month. That's fair. I think we're running out of a little time, guys. So maybe we'll just wrap things up. Hopefully everybody got something out of this. You know, it's a different market with the corporate events and spinoffs and IPOs kind of driving the bus, which leads to Jim's ice cream analogy, which is always entertaining. And we'll be driving new cars this week and hope Everyone is staying safe and sane and enjoying the cooler weather. Thanks a lot. Tune in next time for another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Peter.